If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6, I'm just going to be looking at a few verses right in the middle of that, that wonderful chapter. Um, it's a, it is a real privilege to be here, super thankful, I, it, and I've enjoyed some of the fellowship here. Well, I, I came here like years and years and years ago. I had mates who were coming to the youth group here and say, I spent many a Sunday night here back in the day. But I'm super thankful for Mike and for Matt and the ministry that they have. Is my mic all right or is it, I feel like, it's okay. Okay, I'll just not think about it anymore. Um, yeah, it's just a real privilege for me. Um, so thankful for the opportunity. If you do, yeah, if you're in John chapter 6, that would be awesome. John chapter 6, I'm going to be reading from verse 36 um, down to 40, verse 40. So John 6, verse 36, down to 40. Hear now God's word. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let me pray just briefly. Father, thank you for this word. Um, It is, I think, designed by you to give us great encouragement and great assurance of our own salvation. And so I pray that you would do that work that it is designed to do, pray, in us. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May this word light our path this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when, you, when you became a Christian, assuming you're a Christian here, and then welcome to you if you are not, but it, when you, for the Christians, when you became a Christian, I wonder what the kind of, the key revelations that happened in your mind, in your heart at that time, like that, that made you go decide, like, I, I think I'm going to forsake my sin now and I'm going to follow Jesus. Like what were the, what were the revelations that happened? Where you said, I'm going to turn from my own way and I, I'm going to put my faith and my trust and my hope for my own salvation, the forgiveness of my sins in a man who died on a cross a couple thousand years ago. I, th- I think that, that that moment is probably different for all of us um, and different revelations, but I, I think that probably something that we all have in common, at least in some amount in that moment, was the revelation that God loves me. That I am loved by God. Right? That, the, that the gospel story is not just historical facts, but it's an expression of love from God towards me. So verses like this, realities like this from, from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Like came to experience the loving, the gentle and lowly heart of Christ towards us. Or things like Hebrews 5, 2, where, where it says that he, that is Jesus, can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. And that seemed like very good news to us. 
Or Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what we encountered was a love that was so great that the Apostle Paul prays for the church in Ephesus that they might have what he says, have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Like you, It's the kind of love that you're just going to need strength to comprehend all that it is. But it is one thing, I think, to to come to believe in that moment of conversion, to go, I'm loved by God. That is one thing, to come into the love of God. I think it becomes another thing in our experience to be as convinced that, that He still loves me. So that Not just that He loved me then or perhaps loves me now, but that He will love me ongoingly. I think we all suffer from some levels. We all have different experiences of, of some level of abandonment in our lives, um, where the, the kind of the, 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 the relationship began with love, but, you know, it didn't end that way. Um, and that may have been a friend. That might have been a high school romance. And it began with love and it didn't continue that way. Um, but it, can be, it could be really deep relationships. It could be a brother. It could be a sister. It could be even a husband or a wife. And the experience, though, is the same, and it's a kind of the dynamic is the same. That is, it began like this. It began with love, and you were convinced that this would be the way it would always be, and yet it didn't turn out that way. And so for some of us, and this is experience for perhaps for many of us, in that it might feel like people leaving you is like a pattern in your life. Right, so every relationship you begin with, though it begins with love, there's an element of skepticism for you. Okay, so you're here now. My question is, will you be there tomorrow? Will you be there 10 years from now? Right, and, so we, and I think we can all be super aware of our own kind of weirdnesses and, and idiosyncrasies. And, you know, that, that, you know, I'm just not so convinced I'm that easy to live with myself, right? I, I have to live with me a lot. And perhaps if I could leave me, I might. But... You know, so, but I can't, and so we, we, we carry on. But we, we're all kind of aware of that, and so it's kind of a point of, like, for some of us, like, okay, you're here now, but it feels like, is it just a matter of time until that's not the case anymore? Um, the question I want to ask today is, and I think that this passage answers, is that when it comes to the love of God, that love, that, that revelation that we had of the depths of the love of God, when it comes to that kind of love, which was embraced in our conversion, does it last? So I get that God loved me then. And perhaps I believe right now he loves me now. But it's me, right? So like, but will he love me like in weeks from now? Okay, wait, like, but what in months, like in months, will the love of God still rest on me then? Okay, maybe months. Years, like five years of me? What about 50 years? Because I might have 50 more years. Is that possible? Um, well, I think our passage gives us wonderful answers to that. We are in John's gospel and we're landing right in the middle of chapter six. And so, so far in chapter six in John, um, Jesus has performed one of, I think, 
one of the most fa- it's one of the most famous miracles that he ever did um, do. They're in, it's in all four of the Gospels, and that is the feeding of the five thousand. I think it's an unbelievable miracle, so, so like incredible power on display, where Jesus creates and creates out of nothing, continues to create bread and fish to feed a massive number of people, five thousand men plus women and children. It is the biggest number wise miracle that Jesus ever does. That it impacts that many people in one go. So. On one level, that's an unbelievable miracle. And they, like, like the power on display is incredible. And yet on, the, on another side, then the miracle is kind of limited in that they've been fed and they're going to be hungry in a couple more hours. Right, and so and so so like he he heals the blind person they get to see that doesn't just last a few hours, right? Because Jesus Jesus feeds them, but the problem is for the people. Okay, but we we're going to get hungry again, right? And so what they fail to see is that when Jesus provides the bread for them in that moment, it was actually a sign. They don't see it as a sign. They just wanted food, right? They don't see it as a sign pointing to Jesus is the bread of life. You come to me and you'll never be hungry again. Right? Talking about himself as spiritual food, like to satisfy you forever. But no, the people, like they just want some more lunch. And so our passage began, and Jesus says this He says, But I said to you, this is verse, verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So Jesus is saying, like, okay, so just think about that, that verse. You've seen me, right? Like, I know you see me. Because I'm here, right? I'm physically here. I know you can see me. I'm talking to you right now. I know you see me. I know you've seen the bread. I know you've seen all of this. But you don't believe in me. Right? There's a massive difference. So you see me, but what do you see? Right? You see miracle worker. You see like a probably amazing miracle worker. You see a lunch provider. Right? Waymaker, lunch provider. I can't remember this. Yeah, so... Like, that's what you see, but Jesus says, but you don't believe. Like what, what you saw should have led to belief. What, what you saw should have led to worship and bow down. But you've come back and you, what you really want is just some more bread. Like, you're hungry. Like, you're like, you know what? Like, Moses in the wilderness, he gave the people of Israel, like, food every day. We're just wondering if you might give us food, like, every day. But I actually think this is like a really painful verse. I think an intensely painful verse because what it reveals, I think, we're staring into the depths of human unbelief that you can see him. You can hear Christ. He can be with you. The son of God, the eternal son of God with you. And you can see him do a miracle that not like creating out of nothing, like creation type miracle work and only want more bread. And not believe. I think that puts to rest the idea that that what what the world around us needs mainly is to see signs and wonders. Because you can, like, it's throughout Jesus' ministry, people saw signs and wonders. You know what they wanted to see more? Just more tricks, more signs and wonders. This is cool. No, but what was needed was this to go beyond that to believe. And so the rest of the passage is designed to answer the question with this scenario, Jesus doing this kind of ministry and people not believing in him, is Jesus a failure? Is his ministry a failure? Now that's important for us to answer because if we look at that and go, hey, Jesus is failing with these people, they're not believing. 
Well, then if he fails with them, could he fail when it comes to us? Could he fail in saving us? See, we get what this verse means for the people, right? We get that they've seen and not believed, and so that leaves them outside the people of God. But what does that mean for Jesus and his effectiveness and his ministry? Well, so then the rest of this passage answers that question. Does this mean that Jesus' ministry has failed? Verse verse 37, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Is Jesus failing in saving sinners? Amen. No, he is not. So you can see this situation, right? Where they see him, they don't believe. And Jesus can go, yeah, but one thing I do know, that all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Jesus' confidence is not in the kind of hopeful expectation that people might respond well to this moment right here. His confidence comes from that fact. All that the Father gives to me, they come. They come, right? Um, J.C. Ryle paraphrases Jesus' words like this. He says, I see your unbelief with sorrow, but not with anxiety and surprise. Or Martin Luther paraphrased it like this. He said, this sermon shall not on your account be of none effect and remain without fruit. If you will not, another will. If you do not believe, yet another does. And so the Father gives people to Jesus. And this is throughout John's Gospel. This is a big emphasis in John's Gospel, that that the people who are coming to Jesus are given to Jesus by the Father. So John chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus says this, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Praise God. Chapter 17, verse 2. Jesus is praying to the Father and says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Or later on in verse 6 of chapter 17, Jesus says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me. So just this, like here, I like marvel really at this idea, this reality that you, you are, if you are in Christ, you are a gift from God the Father to God the Son. Think on that. You were a gift from God the Father to God the Son. I don't know if you've said that to people or people have said that to you where you've gone, honestly, you are a gift to me. Like, I love you. You are a gift to me. Like what you bring into my life, you are such a gift. Jesus looks at those of you who are in Christ. He says, you were literally a gift to me. You were given to me by my Father. Right? You know when you, when, you, when you get given the perfect gift? You know, it's like someone, and, and someone gives you like the gift and you're like, whoa, like you know me, right? You, you just know me so well. That was like 100%. That's my kind of gift. And Jesus goes, yeah, that is like, The Father gives me exactly that that is the perfect gift to me. Who? You. you, Those who are in Christ. It was for the joy that was sent before him that Christ endured the cross. The joy. What joy? Well, that God's giving me people to save. He has joy in being a saviour. 
And so this is one of those verses, I think, that you can kind of break down word by word and get a whole package of like amazing thoughts. And you can almost preach a whole sermon on each word. You can't do that with every verse in the whole Bible, right? So when there's verses like, you know, Jesus traveled to Capernaum, you can't kind of like sit in every single word of that and go like, go and travel, you know, you know, like two, you know, like you can't like sit in that for a long time. But this, this verse, you absolutely can. So let me let, like do that with me right now. Let's consider each word where Jesus says, all, no, not some, not, the, not even the majority, not even most, all. I'm, I'm talking about every single person that the Father is. All, all, the Father. So the Father is involved in your salvation. In what sense is the Father involved in your salvation? See, it's not as sometimes people um, kind of make out the gospel to be that the son is the really loving one and the father's quite angry and the son comes along to appease an angry father's wrath. No, your salvation begins in the initiating loving heart of the father who gives you as a gift to the son. All that the father, what does it say? Gives. He gives. He doesn't haggle. He's not trying to get a bargain. He just gives. He gives freely. Me. So all that the Father gives to me, like Jesus. Like we are given to the person of Christ. The eternal begotten Son of God. We are given to Him. We're not first and foremost given to a set of doctrines. We're not first and foremost given to the church. We're not first and foremost even given to the gospel. We are given to a person. The person of Christ. Yes, we are given to all of those things, but not firstly and most primarily, we're given to the person, a true person of Christ. He gives to me, will come to me, Jesus says, will come. That the purposes of God are never thwarted. Like those who God gives, they do come. He is not just a potential savior of those people, he is an actual savior. He says, All the Father gives to me will come to me. And then he says, and whoever comes to me, right? So we're not robots. We're not like kind of programmed, automated. So then we come to God, you know, kicking and screaming like we don't really want to. No, no, there's there's God gives and we come, right? God comes into our life and puts new desires into our hearts so that where we did not want to go for perhaps a long time, right, that we ran in the opposite direction of, He does a work in our hearts so that we turn and we come. The Father gives and we come. And then for all of those people that Jesus has just described comes this promise. Hear this promise right now. Jesus says, for those people, I will never cast out. Never. Never is a strong word. I would never cast you out. In the Greek, it's like a double negative. It uses two. And it's not like a double negative that kind of reverses the meaning. Like I will, I will not not cast you out. I mean, he would cast you out. Cast you out, right? It's like double negative. Like, no, I would not, never. Like the King James famously put it, I will in no wise cast out. So it's it's emphatic. And the point of a double negative like that often in the Bible is not just to prove the like the negation of that. It's to affirm actually the opposite's true, right? The, the actual, the opposite. Uh, the similar dynamic happens when we pray the Lord's Prayer. You know, when you pray, um, lead us not into temptation. So in that moment, you're not thinking, yeah, phew, because I was worried God might start leading me into temptation. God doesn't do that. 
Right? That's not what's going on in your mind when you're like, oh, please, like I just warded off God leading me into temptation. No, the, it's the opposite that's true, right? It's like, no, don't lead me into temptation. No, lead me into joy. Like that's the point of that, 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 that prayer. Lead me into hope. Lead me into righteousness. Lead me into holiness. Lead me into all the good things of the good life that you have in store for me. Lead me into that. And so Jesus says, I will never cast you out. Never. In fact, the opposite's true. I would welcome you. I would welcome you. Like, like the father runs to the prodigal son, that, like, cast you out? I would welcome you with open arms and a smile on my face. I would not keep you at a distance because of any of your past sins. I would confess you before God the Father on judgment day. I will glorify you one day with all of the saints in glory. I will keep you forever. You are a gift from the Father to me for all, of all things. I would never cast you out. The idea of being cast out was common to the people at that time, right? So you could be cast out of the synagogue, which means being cast out of the people of God. In the Old Testament, a person could be cut off from the congregation of Israel. A leper was shut out from the camp in the city. So they were familiar with the idea of being cast out. In, in John chapter 9, you have the story of a man who, who, who is blind, uh, was born blind, and Jesus makes him see. Isn't that amazing? Born blind. Never saw. Jesus makes him see. That's amazing. Eventually, he's brought before the Pharisees, though. And the Pharisees don't like that kind of stuff going on, right? And so the Pharisees ask him, or they, they bring his parents before them because they want to kind of disprove it. They bring the guy's parents. And they're like, well, okay, so is this your son? And how is he seeing again? And the parents are like, well, we can confirm he's our son. As far as him, how he got to see again, you're going to have to ask him, right? And it tells us why they kind of like avert, you know, dodged the question. It says in verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. That's a big deal. We don't want to be put out of the synagogue. So we're going to actually let him answer that question because we don't want to affirm anything about Jesus because we don't want to be what? Cast out cast out of the synagogue. And so then they bring back in the formerly blind man and they say, okay, explain this to us because you're definitely the guy who was born blind. We can definitely see that you can see right now. Like, how did that happen? And he's like, now, honestly, like, all I can tell you is this, I was blind and now I see. And he did it. I don't know what else to say. You know what their answer to him was? You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. They cast him out. Jesus says, I will never cast you out. This is the loving heart of Christ to you. Not just at your conversion. Not just today. He says, never. This is an eternal thing. I will never cast you out. That's the loving heart of Christ. See, the pharisaical heart is, you were born in utter sin. You're going to teach us, we'll cast you out. What a difference, right? I'm not sure what your experience of being cast out has been in your life. But know this, that Jesus, he will know, never, in no wise, not possible, it will never happen, cast you out. Why? Like why? Why is he so committed to us? Why is this the plan? That those whom I say, I would just, that the Father gives me, I'll never do that. Why? 
Why is he so committed to perfectly preserving those whom the Father gives him? Well, he says, he tells us in the next verse, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven. So for, meaning because. So I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is saying, I, I don't cast people out because I didn't come here to do my will. I came here to do the will of the Father. He's giving me people. So I just can't cast them out. I've come, I've, I've come to do his will. I just couldn't do it. Uh, there's um, like an illustration. I don't mean this to be funny. It's like a horrible picture, but let me just paint it. And that is like if you said to me, hey, I want you to go down to the local shopping center. I want you to find an elderly woman, Sam, and I want you to punch her in the face as hard as you can. I go, I, I couldn't do it. I can't. I just couldn't do it. I know I can, right? I know I can physically. Like, I have the capabilities. It's just, I just wouldn't. I just couldn't do it. Like, I don't think I could actually lift my arm up to do that kind of thing. And Jesus is saying, cast you out? I, just, I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. I wouldn't. I can't even... Jesus says, it's like Jesus is saying, if I were to cast out a sinner that the Father has given me, something would have to happen that could never happen. And that is there would need to be some kind of rift between the Father and the Son of God, the triune God. That you would sooner tear apart the Trinity than that I would cast out one whom the Father gives me. I've come to do his will. Our wills are aligned. You would have to tear us apart before I cast out a sinner. Man, do you want confidence in your salvation? It won't get better than that. I could not offer you any, the faithfulness of God the Son to God the Father. So the next two verses explicitly tell us what the Father's will is for Jesus. So verse 39 says this, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Wow, that's, I mean, that's explicit, isn't it? It kind of preaches for itself. So you could probably just read that and, and I could shut up. But I will keep going because they invited me to be here. And so here I am. But following the passage so far, just follow what he said so far, right? I will not cast out any that the Father give me. Why? Because I came to do the will of the Father. Okay, what's the will of the Father? That I should lose none of them that he gives me, but raise them up on the last day. The Father says to the Son, this is my will for you. I want you to save them and I want you to keep them. That's encouraging. This is the, will of the, this is the Father's will, a will which the Son always does. He saves those whom the Father gives him. And he keeps those that the Father gives him. He says, I will lose nothing of all that he has given me. This is sometimes called the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Right? That, that, that those who are true believers, who truly do come to faith, will indeed persevere until the end. So you picture the, you remember the parable of the seeds and the, the sower and the seeds and the seeds go out. Right, and some of it falls on different kinds of soil. But the ones that, that fall on the good soil, right, they produce fruit ongoing fruit. Now, some of them produce a little bit of fruit, like in the thorns, but they get choked up by the cares of the world. And it shows in the end that that was not good soil. But the good soil produces good fruit right? that doesn't wither and fall away. 
But the, and so it's known as the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, but I think like you look at this passage and you're like, this is less about the perseverance of the saints and more about the perseverance of God. That he perseveres with us. So Jesus says he will not lose any. He says they will be raised up on the last day. So that's the length. If you if you like when how long does this last? No, I will raise them, Jesus says, on the last day. Right? On that day, you are no longer in danger. Right now, you're in danger. We are in danger. Our souls are in danger, right? From our own sin, right? From Satan, from false teachers, from like all the the things around in the world, like the, 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 you know, the, the plants that get shriveled up by the cares of the world. Like, yeah, Jesus has to keep us, care for us, watch over us. On that last day, he will not need to do that anymore. Right? We'll be kept safe in heaven. It makes me think of Romans 8, right? And probably you're thinking that as well. Romans 8, 29 to 30, where Paul writes, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, right? That's known as the golden chain. And the chain's like a really good picture for what that is, because it all links. No, those whom that happens to, that happens to. And that happens to, that happens to. And you, there's, like, there's none lost in the chain. Right, so you can re- I like to reverse engineer it, right? Who gets glorified at the end? Well, it tells us, all those who were justified. Okay, but who are the ones that get justified? Well, it says all, he tells us, all those who are called. Okay, but who are the called? Well, those who be predestined. Okay, but who are the predestined ones? Those whom the Father foreknew, like set his love on. Right, so none are lost. And so somewhere in that chain, in that order of salvation, you have the Father giving people to the Son and the Son saving them. And they make it to the end. That's amazing. That's the Father's will. Verse 40 again defines the Father's will even more for Jesus. Verse 40, it says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up again, He says, on the last day. I will do that. Like you will make it to the last day. And there's another way of just describing how we came to Jesus. So if you, look, if you look at verse 39, it puts our coming to God like this. That Jesus says, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Where's the focus? God's role in our salvation. That's one way of describing it. This is another way of describing it. Verse 40 describes our coming. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him. That describes our part. So both things are true, right? The Father gives us to the Son, and you must look on the Son. You must look on the Son. Like the picture of the Israelites in in the wilderness, do you remember? And they had to look up at the serpent in order to be saved. You must look. You must see. You remember how the passage began? Um, Where the the scenario, because of the miracle, because of the amazing miracle, but they're coming and they just want the food. And Jesus says, you see me, but you don't believe. See, you're seeing, but they're seeing and they're seeing. Because Jesus now says, you've got to see again. All those who look on the Son, they will be raised on the last day. But look, well, it's a different kind of looking, isn't it? It's not just, yeah, we see you. No, I'm looking upon you now for my hope, for my salvation. And, and so I, I have to ask, like, have you done that this morning? I don't know you, you know. Have you looked upon the Son for your salvation? He would have you. Jesus is saying there are no barriers in the way. 
if you come, Jesus is not going to object to that. Right? He'll have you. Why? Because he knows that when you come, the Father has sent you to him. He's given you to him. And he wants to receive you as a gift from his Father. And he loves to do the will of the Father. And Jesus loves to be a savior. Just like a little thought experiment on the, on the prodigal son. Like, I just imagine who you think. Like, I wonder who's the, the happiest person in that scene. Like, when the son comes and the father runs out, obviously the son's super happy, right? But he's kind of misunderstanding a little bit of what's going to, you know, the father's actual love for him. I just think maybe the father's heart is the happiest heart. Because God doesn't save with a begrudging heart. Saves with a big smile. So if you come, if you come to him, the only barrier that was there in place has gone. The only barrier is that you hadn't come yet. But once you've come, no barriers left because his arms are wide open. So that's the passage. Let me just wrap up with a couple of thoughts. Heart of God is love towards you, but how long does that last for his people? Well, Jesus will not. Never. In no wise. It's not possible. He will ever cast you out. You are given to Jesus by the Father as a gift. Jesus does the will of the Father. And it's the will of the Father that Jesus would not just save you, but keep you and raise you to eternal life on that last day. And Jesus says to all who are in this room, who have come to him for salvation from their sins, I will never, ever cast you out. Do you fear that he might? Some of us might feel, man, like my track record, like I feel like I might have cast me out by now. Some of us might just be, some of us might be living through a season in our lives where we're like, honestly, I feel like the Lord has cast me out. If I'm just being really honest. Sometimes the psalmist prays like that. Psalms of lament. Like this, 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 this psalm, he actually prays one time, Lord, have you forgotten to be gracious? Imagine, that's in the Bible. So, yeah, you might feel, I just feel like the Lord has cast me out. Right? Maybe you just know that the, the, the ongoing struggle with your own sin, you're like, has the Lord forsaken me yet? Or maybe you're going through particular struggles and just sufferings, maybe physical sufferings or just issues in, in your life. You're like, it just feels like the Lord's cast me out. I, I'm just saying, be comforted this morning. I plead with you, be comforted. For whatever reason all of that's happening, and I can't answer that, the many reasons that, that could be happening, I'll tell you one thing that's not true, and that, that it's that he's cast you out. He would never, no, in no wise, not possible, ever cast you out from his love. Jesus gives this promise, and he gives us that promise, I think, because he knows our human frailty. Why give the promise? if we're not actually going to have those fears at times, that maybe he would, and maybe he might. Praise God, he's not like us. Jesus made a covenant with his people, a new covenant in his blood. Right? And just like a marriage covenant, in, those marriage, in that marriage vow moment where, where, where promises are made, and because it's a covenant, like promises are made that, hey, you know, whatever happens, I will never cast you out, I will never leave you. Right? So that's why the, the promises, just to kind of catch all phrases, richer, poorer, sickness, health. I love that just better or worse. Like this just literally covers everything. 
So no matter what happens, I'll never, I'll never leave you. I will never cast you out. I, I, make a, I make a promise before God. And what's marriage? Marriage is meant to be a picture of, of Christ's love for the church. He would never, he would never do that. He would never cast you out. And I'm John Bunyan, the Puritan, you might know, who wrote um, Pilgrim's Progress. And John Bunyan, he, he, he has this amazing quote where he kind of plays the part of the sinner kind of testing this out, like testing this promise of Jesus in different ways. And so he says this, but I am a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. This promise was provided to answer all objections and does answer them. So we're just prone to think, okay, but there's a scenario, isn't there, where he might? No, there is not. Um, and so the only condition is to come. That's any or who come, whoever comes. Right? Um, I love that we, we use at our church the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. It's a Baptist one, so I can say it here because we're a Baptist church, right? And in, and, and in statement number six we, I, I, of the freeness of salvation, I love these words. He says, we believe that nothing prevents the salvation of the greatest sinner on earth, but his own inherent depravity and voluntary rejection of the gospel. Like nothing prevents the greatest, like the salvation of the greatest sinner on earth. I love that phrase. All right, what are the chances that the greatest sinner of earth is amongst us right now? Probably very low, right? But even if you were, there is nothing that prevents you from the grace of God. J.C. Ralph says this, Our past lives may have been very bad. Our present faith may be very weak. Our repentance and prayers may be very imperfect and poor. Our knowledge of religion may be very scanty. But do we come to Christ? That is the question. If so, the promise belongs to us. Christ will not cast us out. We may remind him boldly of his own word. Hey, you said, like you promised. The warning obviously comes to those who are not in Christ. This is not a promise. But if you're never in, of course the promise is, I'll cast you out if you're never in. But this promise is for all of those who have put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never be cast out. The door could not be wider open though for all who would come. He would receive you. He saves you with a smile. There is joy in heaven when any sinner comes. Hypothetically, this is a horrible thought experiment, but to think that if Jesus did cast us out, what that would mean? Well, would that not, in light of this, bring eternal shame on the Son of God? If he did cast one out, it would mean a rift within the Trinity, the eternal Trinity, which has always been of one mind. It would mean he was impotent, perhaps, to do what the Father asked him to do. Again, unthinkable stuff. 
or maybe his heart had changed. But Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and he became a different kind of hearted person. Awful to think of and impossible to happen. And so when Jesus, I love the thought where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, not my will, but your will be done. What is the will of the Father? Jesus has told us, hey, that he will, he will save all that I give to them. And he will keep all that, I, that all, I, all that I pass on. And so my encouragement is come to Jesus. All this is on offer to you, all of us this morning, Christian, not Christian, to have this kind of security in the love of Christ. I have this thing that I say with my son, Zaki, who's, I don't know if he's gone out. Um, but we say this pretty regularly to one another. And it was only in studying this passage, I was like, oh, this is like similar. I right? so have this thing where I'll say, Zeki, you're my son. You're like, Dad, you're my dad. Right? Zeki, you'll always be my son. Like, dad, you'll always be my dad. Right? He's nine years old. And I say, Zeki, ain't nothing going to change that. And he's like, and he goes, yeah, Dad, ain't nothing going to change that. And was, that's kind of similar to what this passage is just saying. The God would say to you this morning, you go, hey, you're my son. You're my daughter. You'll always be my son, my daughter. There ain't nothing going to change that. Praise God, eh? Let me pray. Oh, Father. We thank you for your kindness and your grace to us. This kind of grace is too much. No wonder Paul prays that we need strength to understand the height, the depth, the width of the love of God. And we thank you that your love came to us from eternity past, through Christ on the cross, and then calling us in our lives to come to you. I thank you for your grace in bringing us to you. I pray for all those in this room who have not come to that point of knowing that kind of love, the kind of love that never leaves, never forsakes, will in no wise, in not possible, ever cast out. Oh, that we would all know that this morning in increasing measure throughout the rest of our days, that we are yours and will always be yours. Oh, keep us in your, keep us in your truth. Keep us obeying you to the very end that we would come today and a thousand times throughout the rest of our life, we would just keep coming. In Jesus' name, amen.